So we continue in First Timothy here a bit. <coughs> and I'm trying to keep my, my voice working. It's one of those days again. All right, we were in, we just got into chapter two of of 1 Timothy last week. And we started to, to talk a bit about, <clears throat> about prayer for all people that, that Paul urges. So I want to I back up a little bit and start again with verse 1 and start to kind of hit this again a little more in depth because we didn't get to get into it like I wanted to last week. But, but for Paul to start off chapter 2 with the words, <clears throat> first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. By saying, first of all, he is really elevating this to a, to a level of importance that sits on top. This is the first thing I want to say. It's the first thing I want you to remember. And we talked last week about he's saying that it's necessary for us to, that we're called uh, to pray for all people. And you recall me saying, what we all know that all means all. And that's all all means. He's talking about people in, in high positions, talking about kings, talking about people we don't like. Um, he, but he says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And, and we talked a little bit last week about how Paul is saying that this prayer has such a level of importance that, that one of the things it will do is it will lead us to a godly, peaceful and quiet life. And we want to pay attention to that word godly because he's going to use that word godly and godliness throughout the, the book of, of 1 Timothy. And we're going to see that call to a godly life and a godly way of living. And, and, and notice how he pairs it with dignified. There's a, there's, there's a certain level of dignity here that comes into play with living a godly life. But it all comes back to that importance of prayer and what that leads you to. So, so let, let's let's discuss that again a little bit more this week because I, I was I was out to dinner one time with a with a sales rep and we were sitting and talking and he looked across the table at me and he said I just don't understand it and I've shared this story before but he said I don't understand it he said my brother has cancer and my brother is probably not going to live that long and yet every Sunday he's at church every every Sunday night he's at church. He helps with the children's ministry. He helps with this. He does this. He does that. And he's always done that his entire life. And now God lets him get cancer. He said for all the things that he has done and all of the, the faith, faithfulness he has shown, God lets him get cancer. I don't understand it. And I looked at him. I said, well, what, what is it you don't understand? And he said, well, what is God trying to teach him by giving him cancer. And I said, I don't know the answer to that, but, but I would ask this question. What is your brother trying to teach you by continuing to live in faithfulness? And he sat there, and it was, it was a strange moment. And he put his head down, and he looked up. He said, hmm, so maybe all this is not for him, but it's, it, it, it's to show things to us. He said, I've never, I've never looked at it that way before. 
what, what's the, the scripture where Jesus says that this man was not born crippled mm-hmm. because of his sins, but it's for the glory of God yes. to be made known. Exactly. Exactly. And so so it's it's not it, it we tend to have this 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 negativity, but that negativity comes from us not having a right relationship with God. And I think what Paul is saying here and why he's telling Timothy the importance of prayer and the importance of prayer in the church, especially, is that through that prayer, we build that relationship. When we when we take the opportunity and the time to truly come to God and pray, not just for ourselves, but look at the way he's urging. He says supplication, prayers, intercession and thanksgivings be made for all people. So this is a really broad spectrum of types of prayer, types of discussions that we can have with God. And and he goes on to tell us essentially that it, it leads to a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So there's a lot to be said for prayer, but, but again, let's keep this a little bit in context. Within the church... You know, I, I, again, reading Wearsby, he, he he makes a comment about a pastor friend of his who said that if I say we're we're going to have a uh, you know a buffet dinner, all the you know all the church will show up. But if I say we're going to have a prayer meeting, I'm lucky to have two or three people show up. And and it, and it does tend to be that truth that when we think about coming up for prayer meetings, unfortunately, there's a there's a bit of a thought in the in the mind that. Well, you know, that's that's not necessarily going to be all that fun. Um, and, and I'm not saying we do that, but I'm saying it's the way of the world. Today, it's why you don't see Wednesday night services anymore in most churches. It's why you don't see Sunday night services in most churches. Because they come to church on Sunday morning, and then they're done. I have fulfilled my duty. I've been here for my hour a week, and I'm good. And I'm going to go on now about my life, and and there's a there's a lack of relationship and a lack of seriousness that comes from that type of worshiping. But when Paul says, first of all, I urge you that you pray, I see this as a calling that we ta- that we have prayer in church, that that we have time of prayer, that we you know, devote time to one another in prayer. There's so much that can come out of this, and all it will do is strengthen our relationships with God, each and every one of us, in, in, in wonderful ways. You know, and, and if you've if you've never experienced those times in prayer where you just get so deep into a conversation with God that for those moments, however long they may be or short they may be, that the rest of the world doesn't seem to exist anymore. That it's just you and him in fellowship with one another. It is a wonderful thing. That's why when we read in scripture about prayer and, and uh, you know, we find that, the, uh, where's that verse at? About going into your prayer closet and in and, 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 and secret. I don't think that means we have to do all of our praying in secret, but I do think it means that when you get alone time with God, however you need to do that, that's when the true building happens. It's no different than, than, than really and truly than, than our, our personal relationships with one another. I mean, 
you and I in this classroom have relationships with each other at different levels. But for those of you that I have spent personal time with, although be it probably only happened once you didn't come back, <laughs> but for those of you that I've spent personal time with, we have a deeper bond. We have we know each other more intently. We know what's going on in each other's lives at a level that perhaps the rest of us don't. And it and it forms a deeper relationship and bond because we've been we've spent time alone together. And the same thing happens when you spend time alone with God. You get to know him more intently. You get to have a deeper level of discussion. And and that includes it includes studying the scriptures. It includes prayer. You know, there's there's so much involved with that. But there's a lot to be said for stealing away and being in prayer. I'll stop talking for a minute. Which means you all can talk if you want to. We talked this morning in the men's prayer breakfast about what's going on at the border and what's going on with the government and everything. And we talked about, I think this, these first two uh, verses, or first three verses, I would say, you know, I think it fits in a lot with that. You know, we talked about, you know, praying for the people, you know, trying to just come here for a better life. Um, albeit they should be trying to do it legally, you know, they talk, oh, sure. try to do it legally and, and there's that part and, and what is our government trying to do by, by allowing this to happen? Um, but I think there's a lot of stuff that can be said in there, you know, about praying for them and praying for the people in authority and, you know, praying for that peace. Without a doubt. It's, it, that's one of those situations where prayer doesn't we get lost in our in our conversations and our personal thoughts about politics and all those things. And it's really easy, and just from my perspective at least, to forget that all of these people that are involved in this are people. Each one of those those people that are crossing the border, each one of those people that we might find ourselves at times perhaps looking down upon because why are you here illegally? Why are you doing this? And I don't disagree with, with any of the thoughts behind that, 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 that it should not be this case. But there's still people made in God's image. Mm-hmm. There's still his creation. Yes. He created them and, and breathed life into them and loves them just as much as he loves us. And it's easy for even the Christian to let that attitude slip when we're when we're uh, talking about those topics and then this this does bring, I think brings it back around without question Steve that that we're called to pray for all those people we're taught to pray for everyone regardless of who they are or, or what we know about them anything else and it's not, that that thought process is not a whole lot different than what you said about your friend whose brother was sick. Like we sometimes get prideful and think, well, how come these people can come into our country and they can do this when I have to pay this and all that? And uh, you know, what's God teaching us through this? Through yeah. this process, through a process like that, you know, sort of the same. Yeah, I, I no, I can see that for sure. Tank, it's a. Uh... You know, every experience there's something to be gained from it, and uh, you know I talk. I always talk about don't don't waste your pain, don't waste the, the the difficult times you go through, don't waste any experience for that matter, right? I think um, 
Another reason that the Bible asks us to pray, or tells us, to pray, instructs us to pray for everyone. Um, you know, it's a lot of times, especially sometimes when I listen to the grandkids pray, you know, and it's always like, you know, God bless mommy and daddy, and they'll go down the list and they're, you know, we tend to name our friends and our family and, you know, keep us all safe and my little circle here. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, the Bible talks about the here, obviously, pray for kings and all who all under authority. Um, but it also tells us to pray for those who use us and persecute us. Pray for your enemies. You know, bless them that curse you. And I think... <coughs> One of the reasons, you know, we should pray for our spouse. We pray for it. It's really hard to have a bad attitude when you're sincerely praying for these people. It is. You know, I mean, I think it helps. It helps keep our our attitude in check. It helps keep us in the right place with God spiritually when we're, you know, sincerely. Definitely, it does. Praying. Yeah, I think that's that's a great observation. <laughs> it really does. You know, how do you how do you get how do you get a, a mindset of God? Well. Get in fellowship with God. Pray. Think about the things that the Scripture tells you to do. There's a reason behind it all. And 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 what we talk about, how do we build our relationship with God? We always come back to prayer, study the Scriptures. You you cannot go wrong. Uh, but you you use a word there that that is is key. You said sincerely. You know, it 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 needs to be sincere. And it needs to come from the heart because God knows when it's not. And it's a challenge sometimes, I know. It goes on here to say, and in verse 3, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so if you ever doubted that you know, I'm not going to get into that whole discussion of of uh, the elect versus you know uh, free will and all that, but th this is not the only place where we see the scriptures tell us that it is God's desire. Even though we know that doesn't mean that all people will be saved, we do know that it is His desire that all people be saved. Hmm. Hang on one second. Let's. That is my brother calling me, and he is probably with my mom. Let's make sure everything's okay. So we know what God's desire is. And, but it goes on to say that in verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So <clears throat> we need to, to note here that Paul is, is talking about all people. And in that context, he's saying, Different groups of people don't have a different God to worship. Different groups of people don't have 
a, a, uh, a different God that they can come to. There is one God and all men and all groups are going to have to answer to that same God. But more deeply here, he says that we're talking about Christ Jesus, who is the one mediator between God and men. And, and, I, and I have to ask the question, <clears throat> those of you have, who have, have been involved in other denominations or, or, or specifically Catholicism, how do you rationalize a verse that says that there is only one mediator between God and men, and that's Jesus Christ, with the thought that we can confess our sins and receive forgiveness to another man? It, it, that verse to me is one that sticks out that it's there's not a lot of room here and, and because of, of what Jesus did on the cross we have that direct access and because Jesus lived that life he lived he became the intercessor for us and he has this this role and there is no other so just wonder I wonder how that can be rationalized. Does anybody have any insight? Because I don't. I, I grew up Catholic, and I did, you know, do the confession thing. And I guess I can't remember a whole lot about it. I was a kid, and um, basically at, at that time in my life, I just, you know, it was what being. Um, child with Italian grandparents and Italian mom you just you went to catechism and you went to church and you went to um, you know you did all your communion your confirmation and um, so but my understanding in it all is it wasn't the priest forgiving you it was the priest telling you that Jesus forgave you now I don't know that all priests were that way and if that was always explained um, and there's other things in there you know like I don't remember ever having to be told this but you know saying so many our fathers or Hail Marys and all that stuff I, I, I don't remember I've seen it and heard it but I've never I, I didn't witness or go through that um, and then I, I believe that there's um, I think Paul says it somewhere where it might have been Jesus there's something in the New Testament where it says that you know you should go and confess your sins to you know to someone trust trusted you know someone and I don't remember the exact wording but I, I think that's where a lot of that comes from and just like everything you know it, it can, tradition it, carries it, it can get pharisaical real quick you know where um, you know pretty soon the people in the church are are assuming roles and duties that they really truly have no business getting in the middle of and that's true of any denomination yeah that's true of any denomination well the the confession I grew up Catholic also and the intercession or the mediation is not only confession, it's praying to Mary or you lose something and you pray to St. Anthony, right? Is anybody else Catholic? You look pressed out uh, There's just mediation around every corner. You know, it's like, what are we doing? If you, if you sort of look 
But I've not formally I've not formally studied the catechism as it's yeah, and I haven't either. As a saved adult. So I don't like talking about it too much. I really don't like talking about it's not that I don't like talking about it. I just feel like uh, Well it can be a distraction. It can lead you down the wrong path too. Yeah. I will stand firm on the I think a whole lot of what they do is not biblical. I mean mm-hmm. What's the point? We don't pray to Abraham. Why do we pray to Mary? Abraham did really great things. So did Noah. You know. Uh, so. Would you say Catholics really read the Bible other than what the priest puts before them. Uh, most don't. I don't know how you read a verse like that mm-hmm. and then still go back to your old tradition. Mm-hmm. That's right. my problem. Yeah, and that was really my question because, and believe me, I don't. The last thing I want to do is sit here and bash other. Uh, other face or other denominations. Um, I made the statement before. I'll make it again. I think there'll be there'll be Catholics who, who get to heaven like there'll be Baptists who won't. Um, and and so um, it's it's not my place to sit here and and paint other belief other denominations with a broad brush. Everybody's going to hell. Um, but I, but I, I do question certain things like this, and I like to have the discussion because when we see it. <coughs> And it's, it's good for us, I think, to have an understanding of the Scripture and then try to have an understanding of why others think a different way or approach things from a different perspective um, just, just to understand it, you know? And so um, I like to have those discussions at times. But after you confess, you go say your five Hail Marys. That's good. I can, I've memorized that. I've earned it. There's our earning. Which, which feel, yeah, because it feel, feels like forgiveness through works, right? Mm-hmm. It makes you feel better. Versus the grace that you're already forgiven if you just simply. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the biggest thing. That's what, in the Protestant Reformation, I'm really getting on it now, but on the, their communion, you know, it's it's really, I think, now this might make somebody mad. I don't know. It's not, sorry if it does, but it's true that communion to them is another bit of grace. You know, we're going to, if we believe that we're turning the body in the Eucharist into the actual body of Christ, we're receiving additional grace. It's like saying grace at the cross. Jesus's grace, his ultimate act of grace wasn't good enough. So we got to, you hear people say, we got to kill him every week. We need a booster. We got to kill him every week, you know, and I, I'm the same. I don't I think that thought of additional grace is not biblical. It's unnecessary. Yeah. Biblically speaking, it's unnecessary. Um, and there's a verse, Matthew 23, 8 through 12, says something about not calling anybody father but me. Yes. You know, we call yes. every priest father. father. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, the Jews said rabbi, teacher, not father. You know, they called Jesus rabbi. I've had lots of good conversations. Like, his mom is Catholic and have lots of good conversations with her. Like, this is all she's known all of her life. Yeah. And then showing her what the Bible actually says about it. And she's like, whoa. And even Colson's talked to her. Like, everything that he's learned. And she'll ask a question. And he looked at her one day. And he said, Mamal, you need to read your Bible. Like, like, but I don't, that's where a little why I asked the question that I did. Is that kind of across the board, I wonder. Because she, she only knows what she was ever taught in classes. 
statements and things like that versus what it's actually said in the Bible. Yeah. Well, I think the real danger of of the, of the of the Catholic Church is that if you're in a system, if you're raised up in a system, which I was, and my whole as far back as I have priests and nuns in my family, you know, and you're raised in that system, and everybody thinks, oh, we're good, we're covered, but no, nobody really, nobody's diving into the Word. Nobody that nobody ever told me anything biblical, biblical outside of the Catholic doctrine, you know. But but if you're all following the crowd, everybody thinks they're good to go, then you're just good to go. So you just you just, well, this is, we're good. This is what we do. You just keep on walking. Yeah, and whatever direction you're going in. Right. So I, I don't know. Most important dangers. Most important takeaway though is I mean it's very clear throughout the New Testament that God and Jesus are enough. That's it. We don't need man. I mean, we want to fellowship with man. We want to preach and talk with men and share with men, but you need God. That's it. That's where it is. Yes. So you can you don't need a priest absolving you on your deathbed in the middle of a battle. God's there as he's always been. So something got me was you know something Kink said all the time that I went to church as, as a kid with my grandfather. The only Bible that I can remember seeing in that in that church, and it was a very big church, was the one that was up on the altar. Nobody carried their Bibles back and forth. My grandparents had a Bible in their house, a big white Bible, and it I don't think I ever saw it leave the bookshelf where it was at. Yet I go to come to Kentucky to be with my my mama and papa, there were Bibles everywhere, and they were reading them. So, uh, you know, I, I see that yeah. thing. If you don't get in the Word, you don't know what it says. And, that, you know, if you go back and look at the history of, of uh, Martin Luther, you know, and, and how he came to, you know, to know what the Bible actually said versus what was being taught at the time. Eyes were opened. Was it wrong? I don't remember. I know this were delving, but back in, let's say, Middle Ages, was it illegal to have your own scripture Bible? Were you allowed to have, I mean, was a peasant allowed to possess? They were illiterate. They couldn't read. Reading they weren't. They weren't. Education was out for the... Well, it's kept in Latin for so long to keep people from well, yeah. reading. Martin Luther said, well, he, he was Catholic. And then he said, oh, I don't know about all this. And then he started translating. And that's when the danger started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For but I don't know that there was a, a law. Right. Specifically, I, don't, I, I can't point There was a thing. lot of politics, you know, obviously back then. People would allow certain things. And if you read it and you misinterpreted your heritage or I don't know but it's just I'm getting ready to take a church history class that covers up to the professor right <laughs> give it wait so seventh grade social studies <laughs> you like that that's fine um, they that was before the printing press and they didn't have they didn't have the ability yeah. so everything had to be handwritten yeah. so yeah. it was only the priests that had it and they liked it that way because they could translate Control. they could translate and say what 
which is why <clears throat> Martin Luther made the 95 Theses yeah. and nailed them to the church door, saying all the wrongs that, that he that were wrong with it. You know, and it's also it's also why guys like Tyndale were, were burned at the stake because they dared to get an English version of the Bible. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah. it's not that it was illegal to have the Bible. But it was it was definitely severely frowned upon to have a Bible that was in another language, and so yeah, which well, makes the, it the priests, were, the priests were making money at that time because they were selling indulgences. Yes, they were. That people just had to pay. You can pay for your sins to be forgiven instead of actually pray dead people into heaven. Yeah, actually. Okay, now <laughs> just keep adding on here. <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are uh, so a couple things about that. Um, and what's sad too is that some of the, and I don't know what you would call them, um, some of the traditional Catholic Church. Um, like my daughter dated a young man who they went to a church that the services were in Latin. And I know some Catholics are very staunch about that. It has to be in Latin. And I'm like, do you understand what they're saying? What is the point right. of that? Are you getting any? I went to a Catholic wedding one time that was in Latin. And when I left, I was like, so Which is not whether I had to be married and I'm married. I don't even have, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that being said, I have a friend who considers herself Catholic, but I, she's a terrible Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't go to mass. She doesn't, but she reads her Bible. She prays. She has this huge, really cool painting of Jesus on her wall. She'll tell you, "It's that's my guy," you know. And I'm like, and I, I say all the time, she is the most sincere Catholic that I've I've ever met. I my hometown is a very Italian town, and. Um, yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, it's, I knew a lot of faithful Catholics, but it was just a, a form of religion. It wasn't, they didn't have any personal relationship, and she is very different, and that's, that's, I, sad to say, probably the exception, rather than. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's been my experience as well. I mean, I know some folks who are incredibly, you, you would call them devout. But they don't seem to be they attend Catholic churches, but they, they seem to be truly dedicated to God and they seem to truly understand what it means to, to need and to have a savior. And and so there's a there's a difference that you can see. And you know, we're not even gonna get to that again <laughs> to 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 women being quiet. Isn't that something? Probably because I won't be quiet. Um, did anybody ever ask, you know, the question when for Latin, be like, was Jesus Latin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter's buried under the church that dictated. Did he speak Latin? <laughs> I mean, just, these are great questions. Yeah. You just wonder. Yeah. So, so you're saying the rock on which Jesus founded his church couldn't speak the language, so he would be burned at the stake if he spoke the literature that he helped be a part of yeah outside of latin it's just the whole thing it's the whole thing reeks of a, of a problem doesn't it yeah um, let's finish on down to chapter to verse eight here at least um in verse seven he says for this i was appointed a preacher and an apostle i am telling you the truth i'm not lying a teacher of the gentiles in faith and truth um so 
and you know essentially this I want us to keep this keep this in frame um, about prayer about prayer within the church um, and every time I talk about prayer and uh, I was I was listening to your your message the other day about you know continuing to pray and and and, and it struck me that the one thing that came to my mind was yes I everything you were saying I agree with 100 percent and then something popped up in my head and said but you know the Apostle Paul when he was praying for the thorn in his flesh to be removed at some point he got an answer that said it ain't gonna happen and he just stopped praying for it and I thought and I thought do we ever sometimes sometimes maybe God gives us a very definitive answer in some way Paul knew that nope I'm stuck with this and God's grace will have to be sufficient for me. And, and so that element always comes up when I think about prayer, that, that persistence in prayer is important. Persistence in prayer is something we're called to do. But yet apparently there, there can be an answer that tells us just no, you need to just stop. Or at least there was for Paul. I don't know that I've ever, ever felt that way. Uh, but, but I always come back to that and go, well, Paul got it somehow. <coughs> so I always throw that in when I'm talking about prayer. All right. Anything to close with here? Uh, final comments, criticisms, questions, whatever it may be. All right. We will, I promise you. Use this duct tape next week. Um, <laughs> I didn't put my name on there. Yeah. <laughs> might bring another roll. Sometimes I think we talk about prayer. People are like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray for. And anymore, it's just like you take the church prayer list that's in the bulletin and the things that come across on the you know prayer chain, and you start praying for everybody in your family, all the people you know that are sick, all the people who all the people that need to be saved, you know, everything that we're supposed to be praying for. And you you can use up a lot of time. You can. <laughs> really. I you mean can. I hate to I mean use up. No no no, no I know like, what you, you mean. Know, people are like, I don't know what to pray for. Here <laughs> I mean, have you like, ever have you ever been in a room with somebody that you don't know and you say, I have no idea what to say to this person. But when the first words start, the conversation begins. I was gonna say just start talking. Just start talking. Yes. Just start talking about whatever is on your heart at that moment and let it flow. Let it develop. And then take time to listen. There, boy, oh boy. That's the hard part. And um, I'm going to tell you, my, my, my brother texted me back there a minute ago. Sorry for the distraction. My brain totally lost track when I got that text from him. Um, but he said, uh, we need to pray for uh, for my Uncle Baker, Lane Hart, which is my mom's brother. Um, apparently, they said hospice is starting to come in for him tomorrow. It doesn't sound good. And then he followed up with, Mama's doing great. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, but remember my remember my Uncle Baker. He lives up in Indiana right now, and uh, he's been having a lot of issues, but it doesn't sound like things are going well for him. All right, let's close. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I just appreciate the depth. I appreciate the fact that we can sit here and we can discuss and we can dig and we can mine your, your truths each and every Sunday. And we can do it over and over on the same verse, the same words, the same book. And we can continue to learn and to always draw closer to you through that process. 
uh, Lord, I do lift up my, my Uncle Baker and, and uh, the rest of the Lanehart family and all those who are affected, and, and uh, my mom especially, uh, help her to get through this time. And, and Lord, we just pray for peace and comfort um, in his life right now. And uh, just thank you for all you've done, Lord, and help us to have our hearts and minds set to the right place as we enter into the sanctuary. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.